Zach. Yes? It is just you and I here this fine evening. Thank you for coming and visiting, Micah and myself. Yes. Uh, I thought it'd be good to start off with a tweet, a tweet that I just happened to see um, from our friend Ours is the Fury on uh, winnerscoming.net. She uh, retweeted Anthony McCauley, mm-hmm. who said, Just wrapped filming Game of Thrones Season 4. Firing flaming arrows all day from top of the wall at Night's Watch. It's going to be class. Oh, smiley yeah. Face. You got to remember the smiley face. I think that's key in this situation. You know, it's it's cool because here we sit in the middle of November, and it seems like we're seeing more and more news be put out there about different actors uh, wrapping up filming uh, for season four. And uh, this certainly uh, lends itself to a specific event that I can think of in my mind, and I'll try and relay it to your <laughs> mind, Zach, uh, but in a non-spoilers fashion, Right. then maybe we can potentially discuss it a little bit. So stuff's going on at the wall. Right. And, you know, I figured things were going to happen on the wall. I think everybody that has followed along with the TV show, and especially if you listen to this podcast, Game of Owns in your ear hole, um, you would assume that some action is going to be taking place there. So... Getting, I don't want to say a confirmation because we've kind of already had confirmation and those of you who read the books have confirmation, but uh, I'm glad to see that uh, exciting things will be happening. Yep. It's uh, definitely going to be a good season to look forward to and uh, it's crazy. I know, I know we've said this before on a prior episode, but the fact that we are in November and we're heading towards the end of the year, which can only mean that season four is not that far away. It's so close. I know because uh, Christian and I have been wanting to get to Two's company so hard, but we have made we made a solemn pact before the season started to get filmed after he got his scripts and, and, and saw what was the broad stroke of what was going to be happening. We're like, all right, we're putting it on hold, and now that season four filming is over and I am finally back in a place where I can not be traveling for filming myself, we can move on with our stuff. But just knowing that... Just just take that fact that I just threw out there, that we decided to stop completely working on something else. Um, I think that that is an unofficial, non-spoilery way for me to say it's going to be exciting, I think. Yeah? I'm really looking forward to it. Just knowing where last season left off, and there's still a lot of aftermath to the Red Wedding I don't think we've seen yet. A lot of people that we value from a character standpoint um, finding out about what's happened we clearly know that uh, Sansa is aware Arya is aware Bran uh, potentially I don't know how he would find out but I'm assuming that uh, he will in some way Jon Snow who just made his way back to the wall doesn't know about this so uh, and and Danny of course it's a shame that characters in the show don't have the same source material that we do and I'm speaking directly about our Monday episode, and uh, it's really exciting seeing the myriad and stream of feedback we've gotten from you, the listeners, regarding uh, future speak, if we could call that, or the things that we were able to see inside of this house that never dies. And uh, it's just a, an exciting time in general for the show. Like, I'm, I'm really glad that even now in November, uh, it's it's cool to see. Uh, I think that the podcast is about to start heating up, ironically. Uh, this winter. <laughs> exactly. And, and we're heading towards the end of A Clash of Kings. And I think that that's something to look forward to because we know that Blackwater Bay is not that far off. And this particular chapter, though, that we read on Monday's episode, I think just had so much rich content in it. And it really kind of gave us um, some sort of insight into things that will transpire later on in the series, or at least, uh, you know, we should keep an eye out. Uh, for what Danny saw 
uh, in the House of the Undying. One thing I was really looking forward to is seeing the feedback uh, that we got from Monday's episode because, you know, I, I went out on a limb and I said towards the end of that episode, look, we're not perfect. You know, I'm sure we're going to make some mistakes here. And it, look, when it comes to these sorts of visions and you can have all your theories and th- that's the, the great part, though, about having a forum like this and being able to discuss it not only amongst the four of us as hosts, but also with the people who listen to the show. And I was checking out winnerscoming.net earlier, and it seemed like we did get some pretty positive feedback. Yeah, no, it's 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 great to know that the the fandom is filled with people that are as voracious and excited as we are about this stuff. Yeah, you know, I, th- I was worried because I think anytime you take on a chapter like that with knowing what's 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 in there and it's it's dangerous because you do have a such a loyal fan base for the books as as well as the tv show but in this case for the books that you know you you always have to be very very cautious about how you approach it because there are people out there that are just so diehard that they're going to come back and they're going to say well how'd you not notice this at the same time we welcome uh that kind of feedback because it just lends lends more to the show i feel like that we're finally or I'm speaking about me, myself, and, and Eric as well, uh, finally getting to be on the same page as some of you. And I think Sir Lurks a lot on Winter is Coming put it, put it very well. He says, I've been waiting for you to do this chapter ever since I found out that you were doing a read-through of A Clash of Kings, not least because it was my favorite chapter of the book and it was so different to what they did in the TV show, which has been my only real letdown during the translation onto the screen. So now that it is finally here, all I can say is, boy, did you guys deliver two exclamation points easily. My favorite podcast you have done to date. It had all the detailed analysis of what Danny experienced, blah, 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 nice stuff about us. But I like this part at the end where basically the same fan reaction that's been happening, you know, I kind of had to miss out on because we weren't allowing ourselves to read further into the books. He says, this is freaking great. Why wasn't some of this put on the TV show? And he was paraphrasing us. And I completely agree. And I'm so glad that everybody feels that same way. And I'm, I'm glad that I feel the same way too. You know what I mean? Like, I'm glad that we get there and it's not like, oh, they did a great job. They they did what they could and blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's good to know that the books are powerful and they'll remain powerful because, I mean, they're three quarters to 100% of the series, in my opinion. Yeah, no question. And I think uh, Space Champion also had some some good advice where he says, this chapter, of course, has been thoroughly analyzed by fandom, but you guys will have more fun if you figure it out yourself and you will have to come back to it and think about it again and again and again. I'm excited about that because I don't want to be the type of fan and the type of reader. And I think that would be unfair to the listeners of the show that are that are you know, looking for a certain kind of insight, whether you're unsullied like us, like Eric and myself, or you've read ahead like Selena and Micah and you know everything else that's happening. Like, I don't want to be the kind of fan, the kind of listener, the kind of host that would read ahead and kind of get all of the answers and just know everything going into it. So it's comforting to know that it is possible. And if you're out there and you're wondering whether or not, you know, you can remain a fan of the series and read yourself and kind of feel the same magic that you would have felt without the internet being so large and information being so available, uh, it's possible. You can, you can remain unsullied. Even as a person who makes a Game of Thrones podcast, you can do it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, there, there's some other great comments on here. I mean, world underscore dancer. Uh, you know, talking back about the show, said, I think one of the many ways the show fell down was in not showing the House of the Undying scenes from the book, and I don't understand why, as it seems like a great way to get some exposition out of the way in a visual format. Mm. 
And I agree. I do too. I mean, I think that they had a good opportunity. Like I said in, on Monday's episode, it would have really shaken some walls up. We wouldn't have just looked toward Blackwater or toward an episode like The Red Wedding as like the benchmark of how epic it could be. Like so much of what happened could have really been amazing. But we also spoke about, you know, the reasons and the reasoning and blah, blah, blah. So us as fans just kind of have to sit on the sideline and commentate on what's happening. Yeah. And Bling of the North chimed in saying, having read A Clash of Kings almost four years back. Wow. That's a long time ago. It is. Uh, it's nice to listen to the commentary you provide going through each chapter one by one because some of it's forgotten throughout the entirety of the five current books. I, I know that feeling because when Eric will try to ask me questions on the show, <laughs> I have to constantly remind him, Eric, look, there are five books and they're all about 1,200 pages each, so... I don't have all those uh, golden nuggets stored up in my head. You should you should figure that out, Micah, okay? <laughs> I Work should. on that. I need to store up some golden nuggets. Yeah, everyone needs some golden nuggets. He or she goes on to say, you all discussing the different imagery that Danny observes through the House of the Undying and giving your personal opinions on what they all could mean was great and helped me remember just how great that chapter was. Um, I feel like we just need to kind of read, read these, you know, because uh, you guys took the time to write these. John Blackfire says, yeah, definitely a great cast. Sometimes I'm indifferent to having Eric and Zach with an H hmm, being unsullied, but it was worth it for this cast. I love listening to it and having Micah go through it scene by scene to help explain and theorize a lot of the things I've wanted to scream through the airwaves back at them. There are so many eye-opening visions that Danny takes us through, and even though a lot of the visions can be viewed through different lenses and be viewed to mean many different things there, chapter alone is the basis for probably half the crazy crackpot theories out there, which I agree. I, I, I see that now, and that's awesome, because to me, the series is so much better, just being that that was Monday and this is Wednesday, and it's so different in my mind. So he says, so many owns to be had this chapter, but mine has to be the little blue rose growing in that ice wall. I said a weird way to say rose, but I'm excited, because this is a good time for the show. I really am. Yeah, and and I like what John had to say, too, because... You know, I have to be very careful at times saying what I say and, and not slipping up and putting something out there that I might think based upon knowledge from reading the books. And, you know, I have to try and take myself back, put myself in the position of only having read up to where we are in the series and, and obviously what we know from the TV show. And that's not always easy. It's not. And, and you know, it's cool that we're 166 episodes in now and it remains this way. So here's to hoping it never changes, people. Yeah, and uh, we did get one own here in the comments from Victoria Bolton. She said, my own goes to you guys for blowing my mind with all your theories as to George's meanings. Love the chapter. Love the analysis. Just love it all. Mrs. Bolton. Um, I'm going to go ahead and trust you on this, even though I've, I've been taught over the past several months that I should fear the last name of Bolton from now on. I don't listen to Michael Bolton. You know, I've really cut it out of my life in general. You're not a Michael Bolton fan? I can't be anymore. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and just one final comment here from Fifiru. Is that Let's right? go with Fifi Roo. <laughs> That's and, not how it's spelled. Uh, and whatever. part of their post is blacked out, so we will omit that from from this podcast. But I'm sure Eric will read it at some point. He'll probably highlight it. <laughs> he probably already has. Uh, they said, "I've been so looking forward to this episode. Thank you guys for really picking the chapter apart. I loved hearing your opinions. One thing I thought was interesting was your speculation regarding the vision of Rhaegar." I'm going to spoiler this for speculation, although I don't think there's any info here from future chapters or books. Censored. Do you want me to take a look real fast here? Yeah, go ahead. 
I just don't know what it feels like to be able to highlight the black text. <laughs> it's like a powerful move. Like I haven't leveled up there yet. Even though I technically could, I still respect it. Like I need to get there still. I think we could read it. It's not it's not really that spoilerish. They go on to say, uh, I've always accepted as a given that the woman he is with is Elia. And that when he refers to a third child, he means a third child after Rhaenys and newborn Aegon. So remember how Eric was going on last episode about... Well, I don't know who the second is, and, right. and Rhaenys isn't mentioned. Well, I think Fifaru here. Uh, sorry, I had to uh, double check on how to say that, and I'm yeah. sure that's probably not even right. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Rhaenys is definitely uh, in the discussion here. Uh, at this point, Daenerys wouldn't have been born, so I feel like he can't have been talking about her as another head uh, to the dragon, and I don't think he met himself either. A lot of people speculate that one of the major possible justifications for Rhaegar and Lyanna to, actu- to have actually married in secret rather than just having had an affair would have been for Rhaegar to have a third legitimate child since Elia was apparently quite sickly after having the first two. So I think Rhaegar was speaking about his children, uh, n- not necessarily his with her. Uh, I think it's important to keep in mind the kind of grandiose prophecy type stuff that a lot of Targaryen characters, Viserys and Danny included, are portrayed to get sucked into when looking at this, because there have been several instances when they were mistaken. Uh, Rhaegar may have heard this about the dragon having three heads at some point and felt that it referred to himself or his children, when in fact it was actually referring to Danny and her as yet unidentified companions, who may or may not even be Targaryens. Right. I love all the prophecy stuff in the books, so. It's always been disappointing, though somewhat understandable, when the show has omitted those elements. Yep, sorry. We got to keep it real. Uh, the one thing I really think they could have at least thrown in for the readers, if nothing else, was the blue flower growing in the wall, being that Danny was there in the show version. I That's agree. true. Yeah, but they didn't true. have the the reference that, that you mentioned from the first book, which was showing Liana actually wearing the roses herself. So right. I'm not sure if that would have been lost in translation or if that's something that... I don't think that they felt really necessary. That's just the the trouble, you know, when you adapt anything. You know, when you when you adapt it to a movie, it's just such a bare bones, terrible version. Like I hate to bring up Potter again, but I can't really say that I've walked out of a movie theater after watching one of the Potter films and been like, you know, I liked it obviously because it was Harry right, Potter. But you weren't cool. blown away, right? I mean, I you could say I, I was blown away, but it's just these changes that you know people feel that are necessary, you know, when they're in the admin position and they they take the creative license, they're just other people. They're not all-knowing, all-seeing. But then you've got the case where J.K. Rowling is going to be penning the screenplay for the future films that are going to be made. And so that's interesting, and that's something that I wish I could see. And I always really have liked George's episodes that he's written as well. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's cool when the author has their own personal touch on it, and when other people touch it, it kind of muddles the source material. So when it's original screenplay... There's less to pick at, but when you have books this rich to pull it from, it's, you know, stuff like that's going to happen and it sucks. I think that's sort of the uniqueness, though, that you get with the HBO show is that George is actually writing some of the episodes, whereas, unfortunately, looking back on the Potter films, even though J.K. Rowling was very much involved um, with Steve Clovis and others, it just didn't necessarily always work out, I think, where the fans were 100% content. And let's face it, the diehard fans are never going to be 100% content because all that information uh, just from the amount of pages in the books is is not going to be able to make it to the screen. I'm still pissed that they didn't find any way really to 
explain the Marauder storyline in Prisoner I know. of Azkaban, but Such I'm going to let that go. Bullshit. I'm not going to uh, let it go, okay? You're not going to let it go? Well, no. And I'm just infinitely thankful. Like, we can all say, you know, I wish the Rose was there. I wish the Undying House was better. That's a weird way to say it, but I wish it was better, blah, blah, blah. But let's just be thankful that this was not adapted into a series of films. Like, let's be thankful that we're getting that it is a TV show, an yeah. episodic TV series, because I think that in the modern world, this is the closest we're ever going to get to getting a good representation of a book series onto screen. So I'm still glad that they that Game of Thrones is the one that was picked. You know, it's the one that we're looking at now. And I'm 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 happy with it. You know, I know that I kind of complained on the last episode, but, you know, it's a shame that stuff gets missed out on. It really does suck. I definitely agree with you. Uh, but our good friend here found probably one of the best ways to close out a comment uh, by yeah. saying, also, <laughs> I would like to say that I have thoroughly enjoyed all the aforementioned Zelda references <laughs> and that Drogon as Navi has been the best visual yet. How do you say, hey, listen, listen, in High Valyrian? I have no idea. But if I would learn how to do it, I would say it at least three times a day. We also need the owl, you know? We need Kaipor Gaibora in Game of Thrones. We need that happening. I think that that's a, a great way to uh, begin our chapter discussion, though, <laughs> for this week. We visit with Tyrion, who's, let's face it, man, he's just taking care of business. He really is. This chapter of Tyrion is the Hand of the King, and he's always been the Hand of the King. And I think we've commented on how he has sort of, especially I remember in the earlier parts, just risen to the position that nobody really expected him to fill this well. And I think that the TV show maybe didn't capture that as good as it could have, you know, with Tyrion's injury and the aftermath after Blackwater and how he had all of this. And this chapter does a really good job of showing just how much he had and just how much he was doing. Like it was explaining the numbers that he has himself, just not in the uh, Stone Crows, but the sellswords that he's employed. I mean, we're talking about thousands of men. Like we're talking about Tyrion commanding a force, essentially, and yeah. it's all taken from him. So I feel like the impact in the show was a little softer than it could have been. But, you know, if you're following along with us in the book, there's a lot happening right now. And he's really taking care of business. To me, it's it's really cool how you go through this chapter and he's just meeting with all these different people. That's that's why I refer to it as taking care of business, because you, he goes from talking with Shaga to, you know, talking with. The, the new high septon, right? To talk, <laughs> to going through his letters that he's receiving, um, from different people, uh, to talking with the, uh, the pyromancer, right? To talking to Jacelyn Bywater, uh, to talking with Varys. So, you know, it's just, you can really get a sense for what his day to day is like and the things that he's trying to do in order to prep the city from attack from Stannis. Yeah, and it really puts the fear factor in your mind when you're reading the book, just how much of a big deal it is that King's Landing is about to be attacked. Because Tyrion now knows that Winterfell has fallen, and we get such a good peek into his mind in this chapter. Because I feel like George wrote this to make us really like Tyrion even more, that he's showing so much respect for House Stark. Just that it, it feels like he's troubled that the Greyjoys have taken a place where he sort of sees as it shouldn't be anybody else but the Starks. Like he was like, okay, they can take Winterfell, but I seriously doubt that they're ever going to consider the Godswood as a place where they're welcome or as a place that's their thing, even though they've technically conquered it or whatever. Right. Well, I, and I mean, we get uh, insight into the Greyjoy's religion, the drowned God, right? So really they have no place being in the Godswood. What Tyrion was going through all these different places 
when he's talking about Storm's End and he's talking about Harrenhal and he's talking about Winterfell and he's thinking to himself, how the hell are all these places that are supposed to be unable to be penetrated being taken? That's why it's scary because they themselves uh, arguably were all in a better position than he. You know, he's the guy that's in charge of what's going to be happening, and he's about to take the full brunt of Stannis's army. I mean, at one point in this chapter, Tyrion had—I mean, it was a—it was a commentary and something that he never really followed through with. But he was considering sending a letter to Balin Greyjoy and being like, "All right, well, let's make an alliance. You bring all of your ships down, and we could really use you." I feel like that's like desperation on their part, but he knows that it would never work, right? Because they're on the wrong side of the water, first of all. I mean, are on the wrong side of. Westeros, really, yeah. and and he's like, well, it's gonna probably take him a little bit of time to get over here, and really, at the end of the day, do I really want to give him anything that he doesn't really deserve? Right, probably he's, not. I know Balin's now fashioned himself the king of the islands and the north, mm-hmm. which uh, I, I mean, you you read that and you always consider it in your mind that it'll be short lived, but you know, I don't know. To touch on what you said before, though, and and it is a reason why we do like Tyrion so much is he says that the Lord of Winterfell will always be a Stark. Mm-hmm. And he can't wrap his head around the idea that a Greyjoy would rule in the North. And then there's that moment a little bit later on when you know his conscience kind of intervenes, and it says Winterfell is nothing to you. And that immediately made me think about what happens in Season 3 when he ends up marrying Sansa Stark. Yeah, that is interesting. Because Winterfell becomes very important to him. And it well more so to Tywin, uh, and his plans. But as a result of that, Tyrion, right, a golden nugget was placed. A little in golden this chapter. Mm. That that should be our next uh, <laughs> segment on this ep- on this uh, podcast. Find the golden nugget for the chapter. Oh God! Well, we could can kind of Eric would go it. on for ages. Well, let me tell you about the golden nugget. All right, people. <laughs> it's actually a casino in Atlantic City, by the way. I've never been. True story. Neither have I. <laughs> I've yet to visit, but I've, I've seen heard it about on it. Boardwalk though. Empire and HBO show. You can find it on Sundays starting this summer. Uh-huh. New season, season six. That's not a real ad, but I do want to talk about the city, and I just think it's interesting in general when you read stories that are based in sort of this time period and technology. When you hear about the kinds of things it takes for them to get ready for war, and Tyrion's basically outside checking out the Mudgate and seeing what's going on, and he's talking about what the people of King's Landing have done, and they basically have built these makeshift towers and houses that are on the outside of the city walls. They kind of create a situation where Stannis' men could, I mean, they're like shanties almost, like a shanty village of crap that they could climb and, and scale the wall easily, so he has to make the hard decision that all of this needs to be destroyed and burned down. So he's like, tell the people to get their belongings, tell them they have a second to figure stuff out, but we're going to have to torch all of this because we have start, we've begun to start building, you know, anti siege craft machines essentially on the top <laughs> of all these walls. And I'm just like, damn, exactly. that's, that's what I meant when I said the fear factor is here. It's just like Tyrion's got the weight of all of this decision-making on his shoulders. His father's gone, his brother's captured, everybody else, that's there. I'm thinking specifically of Joffrey and Queen Cersei. They're just useless. Like they, they literally are going to have nothing to do with, with the defense of this place. I just don't want the Lannisters to win, but you can't help but to read this and hope that he still defeats Stannis, you know, because George has done a really good job of, we don't like the Lannisters, but we really don't like Stannis that much at this point. So it's no, because he killed Renly and everybody loved Renly seemingly. So it's, it's really also uh, a great, insight into not only the fact that 
he's not surrounded by family members who could assist and protect him. But also now he sent off Shaga. He sent off all of his clansmen into the godswood to prep in case, you know, some of Stannis's men should try and attack that route. So he's really now kind of left himself naked for back, lack of a better term in terms of protection. Yeah, and he's depending on money, essentially. He's depending on various sell sorts. He's depending on people that are even in Cersei's power. You know, he speaks of Sir Boris Blunt and how he gave up, essentially, when they were escorting Prince Tommen. This is the resolution of, of that whole situation. When they were escorting Prince Tommen and Jacqueline Bywater was like, hey, we're taking over here. Uh, he didn't fight. He didn't put up a fight. And he has since to be stripped of his title as a member of the Kingsguard and has been replaced with a slightly more loyal-esque person that could be imagined. But it turns out this guy just feeds information to Bronn anyway. So Tyrion really is doing a good job of spending that Lannister gold and getting everything set up for him perfectly. It's just sad knowing what happens beyond this because at this point right now, this twisted little demon monkey has got most of this figured out. I mean, when he goes and meets the pyromancers and learns about how much shit they've made him, he doesn't even believe it. He's just like, listen, I know that you did not make this much wildfire because last time I talked to you, we were talking about hundreds of jars being made, but now you're talking about thousands more new ones. What's the deal with that? And not only that, but the question that comes up is, have you seen any dragons around? So I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. I didn't expect it. It's more of magic, right? We we've seen it creep up in all these chapters, you know, the the last several weeks that we've been reading through this book and now finally it's starting to play a much larger role and and I think what was really left unsaid was that well, well he does say, you know, the last time we were able to create at this rate, there were dragons around, right? So there's something very, very unique about the magic that's happening, um, you know, sort of throughout Westeros and, and to the east. And the dragons are playing a large part in that. I just think it's so cool because I didn't expect to see it in this chapter. You know, we had such a crazy chapter on Monday. And you think when you're going back to Tyrion, it's going to be so grounded, especially with the first two thirds of this chapter being so grounded and being so much about raw strength and numbers. But when he's talking to the pyromancer, Howlin, or however you say his name, he's basically like, listen, man, I don't want to like wave my hands in front of you and, and make you think that I'm silly right now. But there was a time in my training where I always wondered how come our spells aren't as potent as the scrolls say they should be. And my teacher was always like, I'm sorry, but I we're pretty sure that whenever the last dragon was taken out of the world, uh, for some reason, our, our magic started to go down. And so we literally are getting a firsthand account of someone telling Tyrion, which he's just laughing the whole time in his head. He's like, yeah, tell me more about your magic. I really believe that. But I mean, it, it, it's, it's true, though. We have uh, even more confirmation in this situation that these dragons are directly related to magic coming back in the world. Right. And I don't really believe that. For me, it doesn't make much sense. <laughs> I think that it has something to do overarching. I think it's more of a rebir overall rebirth of magic, not just the dragons are a part of it. They're not necessarily the cause of it. Right, exactly. Th that magic, for, for whatever reason, is, is starting to be reborn in this world. And it, it reminded me of that Danny chapter, I guess it was two chapters ago, where she sees that street performer and... I forget who tells her Quaith. Quaith, yes, and and says that, oh well, your your presence is is, is your feeding fault. his magic and his ability to do what he is doing and um so that's cool. And 
Yeah, you you also just touched on the fact earlier about you know these new members of the King's Guard, right? And right. one of them is kind of okay in Tyrion's mind, Bale and Swan. And yeah. The other is kind <laughs> of you know untrustworthy because Cersei thinks that he's loyal to her, but as you mentioned, he's really passing along information to Bronn, who's passing along information to Tyrion, and there's that moment where I, I think he really questions you know, what's really happening here with members of the Kingsguard. They were always supposed to be loyal. You, know, you, you think back uh, to Sir Barristan and this guy was all about his, his role and all about duty, duty and honor. honor. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing about these members of the Kingsguard now that suggests anything, the likes of Sir Barristan. Yeah, and that's really the threat that that Varys brings up when when they're talking together. And, and Varys tells him a few more things that are unsettling. But I think the basis of of this conversation is that we need to have men that are honorable and that really want to fight for a just cause. And you know, honestly, Tyrion, we can't even create a just cause. You've basically all but paid off the High Septon to tell people that not going against Stannis is going against your gods and will basically yeah. result in going to hell. This is on Tyrion's side now, but even Tyrion has people in his pocket. The, the, the high Septon. You have the religious figure, the highest mm-hmm. religious figure in, West in Coast. King's Landing. Yeah, we're in King's yeah, Landing, yeah. yeah. In your pocket. Like, what does that say? It says that they're going to some desperate measures to keep their people from throwing down their spears and running away. You know, I think... Uh, it was said best in this chapter, you know, the first spear that gets thrown down causes the next, you know, thousand to move. It just takes that one person to be the catalyst. You know, they may have numbers, but they don't have people that are like really, really pumped to be a part of this. So mix that in with the knowledge that Tyrion is now basically the war chief of all that's happening. It's just, yeah, it makes me worry about this whole situation. But there always is the wildfire. There's always the yeah, wildfire. Which they amazingly found a whole stash underneath the Hill of Rainus. Yeah, which was, uh, I love how that happened in the chapter. That was funny. Basically, someone fell through and drank some, which I'm sure didn't end well for the person, but, you know, well, they did it. definitely cleaned your system out, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I've been thinking about starting a new cleanse, of the wildfire cleanse. <laughs> you just got to stay away from any flames for a while. But I, I tie that to the magic, too, like the fact that they were able to find the secret stash. Well, it certainly is interesting because it's been there all along, and I'm sure that people have been pilfering in that basement for a very long time yes and this chapter really wraps up uh with Tyrion talking to Varys and they talk about some people called the antler men <laughs> very creative yeah. name. they fashioned himself the antler men and i think that you brave very brave smart listeners can deduce that these are people that have decided to support the stag and not the weird lion that may have some horns just in case you know but the actual pure-blooded stag of stannis and I was bothered by this because the thought of this happening on top of everything else that we just said certainly spells their demise, right? I mean, how do you get over this? Yeah, it it's really – it sucks for Tyrion because it seems like no matter what this guy does, he can't catch a break. I know. So essentially the Antlermen are a group of traders and merchants, so basically a lot of people inside of King's Landing that are a secret society of wrongdoers – that I guess see themselves as like a quasi brotherhood without banners, but their plan is once the battle begins to make their way to one of the gates, the old gate and just open it up. Let's stand us right in all those preparations you've made. Everything will now go away, which I'm sure that they're going to be stopped because Varys has so nicely given Tyrion this information, but you know, it's, 
the fact that it's happening right now is a bad thing. And one of the people that gets mentioned is Solorian, who we know Tyrion has been working with on certain projects. So it kind of sucks to learn that one of the master armorers that you've been working with is actually for the enemy. Right. And it, I just feel like he's getting some kind of unofficial payback for how curt he was with him about the rings. Yeah. George put that in there to kind of show us more of, you know, the moral of the story is be nice to people or something, you know, be brave and honorable and just or people will turn against you and open gates for the incoming armies. Yeah. And, and the thing is, though, just knowing Tyrion's personality, I mean, he takes it all in jest, right? He goes on and he says, someone should tell them that Stannis changed his sigil. Then they, can, <laughs> then they can be the hot hearts, which sounds like a 90s rock band or something. Tyrion's response was, I think, the best way to transition into our owns for this chapter. His biggest concern is, well, okay, we have this group going against us, and they're probably going to open a gate, and that's going to suck. But he's like, now I'm not going to be able to get that demon helm that I was promised. You know? Like, I needed that helm. You could have Gendry make him one. (laughs) Sure, if Gendry will be around soon, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I got to give my own, actually, to Tywin through Tyrion. When he remembered the fact that one man on a wall is worth ten beneath it. Mm-hmm. And that made me think about not just the walls of King's Landing, but the big wall, the ice wall that's way up north. Because we've heard things like that be said even by Old Bear and others um, about defending the wall against Mance Raider and the Wildlings. So I thought that was a nice tie there that even Tywin recognizes the importance of a wall. Yeah, and it makes me think of Helm's Deep. Just knock those ladders down, ladies and gentlemen. It'll work. And uh, I actually have a honorable mention since Eric is not here. And it goes back, uh, Zach, you were talking about this um, when he says, let them have a reasonable time to remove their property and then move <laughs> them out. Try not to kill any of them. They're not the enemy. And no more rapes. Would you Keep just your men no in line, raping. damn it. <laughs> and Braun responds, they're sellswords, not septons. Next, you'll be telling me you want them sober. He's like, well, that would be nice, but I'm just going to mm-hmm. hold off on that. Well, there you have it, folks. You've heard our owns, and we promise to get back to the things you've been saying over the week. So at this point, we shall do that. Let's turn our faces toward the Facebook wall. It's cold, icy, and it's over there. It is. And uh, Jason Snodgrass was nice enough to scrawl upon our wall and he said it wasn't till my reread of clash of kings that i realized how epic this chapter was they didn't do it justice in the show though it was still cool and uh, he's of course referring to our monday chapter in the house of the undying and uh, also leslie hello leslie i'm not going to try and pronounce uh dingledean name Yes, I think this is Leslie who was listening to us on her wedding day because there's a picture of her in a wedding dress. It's got to be. It's got to be. So congratulations again, Leslie. Yeah, and if it wasn't you, still congratulations. Yeah, congratulations anyway. Yeah, for uh, this. For what? For stuff. I was going to really say for stuff. <laughs> and hopefully your husband's now listening. I knew that was uh, that was a uh, point of contention when you uh, when you tweeted in. Not so long ago. Whoa, is that her new last name? If that's her, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't it? I think so. I can never remember. It's Let us of... know, Leslie. Let yeah. us know. If it wasn't you, just tell us, and it'd be really cool to get you guys you to write one after another. You should just lie and say it another. is you. Yeah, take the credit. Yeah. Uh, she says, this was by far the most eye-opening, in-depth, this changes everything episode. Zach says it the best, though. <laughs> uh, you fellas nailed the analysis and made me realize things that had never crossed my mind i.e. that all the things Danny saw were, in fact, 
uber important and about seven or eight exclamation points. Yeah. Uh, way to rock my socks. You guys own. That's what we're here for, Leslie. We are here to proverbially rock socks. We do, of course, appreciate you guys leaving your owns and other feedback on our Facebook wall, which is facebook.com backslash Game of Owns. You can also tweet at us at Game of Owns on Twitter, and uh, we will read more of those tweets later on in the week. As it relates to all the chapters uh, from this week, Danny, Tyrion, and Theon. Theon. Which I'm sure... All of us are looking forward oh, yeah. uh, to discussing on Friday. I read the first sentence of the Theon chapter upcoming, and I was like, uh-oh, here we go. That's Eric Fodder waiting to happen. So we hope to see you guys on Friday, bright and ugly, right? That is right. Well, I guess there's not much more to say other than we hope that you will have a safe Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. But you know, up until that point, we'll decide from that episode and on. That's right. We'll also get two emails and your reviews, as was promised on Monday's episode. I, I, I gotta tell you, um, before we go, I, I, there is a new username that probably <laughs> outshines even Big Bucket Wolf, and that is Call Me Dorkblade. So I'm really looking forward <laughs> to reading what Call Me Dorkblade has to say on Friday's episode. And you may only find out on this here podcast. I'm Zach Louie. And I'm Mike Tannenbaum. Stay warm. It's the winter. Yes, it was snowing here today. I don't believe you. In New York, Picks. snow was on the ground. Winter is coming. Or a camel? No, but I did see his trailer outside. Actually, <laughs> I did see his trail. He followed his footprints around the building, but he was magically. <laughs> no, no, no. His trailer, his trailer. Uh, <laughs> like a I used wanna, I wouldn't call it cigarettes. a trailer. It's more like a shit smelling uh, hayride. It's a palanquin.